Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What is up, Nets world? We're back here on the Believe in Nets podcast. As always, I'm your host, Eric Slater, Brooklyn Nets beat reporter for ClutchPoints.com. I'm hitting you with a solo pod today, going to be offering a quarter of the season check-in on where the Nets stand. We're 19 games in, not quite a quarter of the season, but just about there. But before I dive into that, the Nets offense, defense, what's went right, what has went wrong, I wanted to break down a Ben Simmons injury update that the Nets offered on Saturday. Simmons has been out for the Nets last 12 games with a nerve impingement in his back. And the Nets said that Simmons received an epidural and is going to be reevaluated in two weeks. The exact statement from Nets PR, as part of his planned rehab, Ben Simmons received an epidural injection to aid in the overall recovery in his lower back and continues to improve. Simmons will continue with treatment and strengthening exercises while gradually increasing basketball activity. His status will be updated in two weeks. So as I said, Ben has been out 12 games. This updated timeline means that he will be out a minimum of six weeks and 19 games now. And, you know, it will definitely probably be longer than that because Jock Vaughn told us after the update that Simmons hasn't even begun sprinting yet. The way that he described it was Simmons has begun low-level activity, doing low-level things. So pretty much that probably just means stationary shooting, maybe some stuff like that on the court, but not sprinting, not involved in any team activities or some anything along those lines. And you know, I spoke about this injury after Simmons got the initial diagnosis. I had Anthony Puccio from Nets Daily on the podcast, but this is kind of following a trend of obviously what we saw last season of Simmons kind of popping up on the injury report with some kind of ailment, whether last year it was knee or calf or back or anything along those lines. This year, he exits during, exits during the Milwaukee game. Then he's diagnosed with hip soreness. Then it's later called a hip contusion. Then one absence turns to two, three, four. And then his agent, Bernie Lee, releases a statement that says that it's a nerve impingement in his back. And, you know, some of the statements and some of the things that came out at that time, I really kind of had a question with, and it didn't inspire any confidence to me that Simmons was going to be back anytime soon. Because while in a different part of his back, this is the same injury that shut Simmons down for the second half of last season. He had a nerve impingement in the right side of his back last year. Now this one's in the lower left side of his back. But despite it being the same injury, his agent said that it's nothing similar and that it should be a short-term issue when he released those statements. The exact quote from Bernie Lee said he's experiencing some nerve irritation issues on the lower left side of his body, which is going to cause him to miss some extra time as he rehabs and builds back from that. He's not experiencing anything similar to what he's gone through in the past or what he went through last year. And this is something that the expectation is with the proper kind of rehab, he'll be able to resume this season in a short period of time without any issue. Well, I was skeptical of that statement at the time because obviously something's not adding up because it is, while it might be less severe, it's the same injury. And here we go. We're a month in and he hasn't even begun real basketball activity and he's receiving an epidural. And an epidural is not something that you get when things are going well. It's a pain management tool when other remedies aren't working. So that's not inspiring confidence that Simmons is going to be back anytime soon. He's going to be reevaluated in two weeks. So that puts us right around Christmas, but 
he hasn't begun basketball activity yet. So when we get to that two-week evaluation point, maybe in the best-case scenario, he's just beginning basketball activity, but I don't see any signs that are lending confidence that that's going to be the case. So we're really looking at this possibly, you know, extending past New Year's and really an open-ended absence. We have no long. We have no idea how long. And, you know, if we're talking about Simmons in the context of the Nets team building, you know, this obviously sucks. Simmons was, while you may have some, you know, issues with whatever he was able to do on the court while he was on the court, there is no denying that he impacted the Nets positively in several ways, whether that's his facilitation, his defense, his rebounding. He brought positive things, and the Nets are not better off without Ben Simmons being available and on the floor. But the reality of the situation is at this point, and I wrote an article about this a couple of weeks back about why this diagnosis and the conflicting um, reporting about it was so concerning that you have to move forward assuming that Simmons is not a part of the plan if you're the Nets. Because to do so, to do otherwise at this point would just be insanity. I mean, we're going on three years of unavailability and issues. We're going on, you know, last season he played 42 games. He was coming off back surgery. It was sort of a grace year of he's coming off that microdiscectomy from the 2022 offseason. He's going to get back. He went through the rehab period, which was almost a seventh or eighth month rehab uh, from last All-Star break going through this offseason. And we heard that he's the strongest he's ever been. He's feeling good. He wants to get back to All-Star form. All those things we heard through the media throughout this offseason. He played six games and we're already at you know a two-plus month absence you know, into this season. So it's kind of to the point where even if Simmons comes back, which we don't know is going to happen right now, it's going to be a reoccurring injury at this point. And we've heard that from people. Brian Lewis, a colleague of mine on the Nets beat, talked to doctors who said that Simmons may be able to come back in, you know, four to six weeks. But at that time, the injury is reoccurring and unpredictable were the words that the doctors used. And they also said that the disc that Simmons had surgery on his L4 and his L5 during the 2022 offseason, it will never be the same. They said patching up a tire was the analogy that they used. So if we're this early into the season, we have this much of an extended absence from Simmons. And we also know that when he comes back, that this is something that can potentially be reoccurring and there really isn't a solution to it. I don't see how the Nets can move forward and build a team with factoring in Simmons being a focal point of the team. It's it's just you have to move forward assuming that he's not available. If he's available and he comes back and he's able to play, which would be great, it's more of just like a cherry on top. But the baseline, what they're going to be working with has to be what's available right now. And they have to build the team in that image. And a player that I've talked about who's really impacted by this diagnosis is Spencer Dimwitty. I've touched on it on my last couple of pods, but with Simmons out, Spencer Dimwitty is the Nets point guard. With Simmons in, he was in a little bit more of an off-ball role, but with Simmons out, Dimwitty is really the only true facilitator and table setter on this roster, and he's done a great job in that role. You can argue he's done a better job than Simmons did when he was on the floor because he's averaging 7.8 assists per game over his last nine appearances. That's the 11th most in the NBA. He's got a 3.9 assist to turnover ratio during that span. That ranks sixth among 19 players averaging six, uh, seven or more assists. So he's facilitating at one of the highest levels in the NBA among all players, all ball handlers. And, you know, people have talked about at points, 
you know, after last season, after he was acquired in the Kyrie Irving trade leading into this year, talking about moving on from Dimwitty. You know, he's 30 years old. He's an expiring contract. you got to recoup some value for him at the deadline. You can't lose him for nothing. He's not going to be a long-term guy. But my contention has been, especially since Ben Simmons went down and even before that, is if the Nets do that and if the Nets are to trade from Dimwitty, trade Dimwitty, who is this team's point guard? Who's handling the ball? Who's setting the table for Cam Thomas, for Mikhail Bridges, for all of these scorers? Who is it? There isn't a guy on the roster right now. And for that reason, I don't see Brooklyn trading Dimwitty at the deadline because if they do, they're left in a position where their offense has no facilitator. The Nets know that they need Spencer Dimwitty. I've talked to Jock Vaughn about it. He recognizes his importance. And anybody who watches these games, if you have any you know knowledge of basketball, should be able to see that same thing. Now, I said, I don't think the Nets are going to trade him at the deadline. Is he back next season? I'm not sure because the Nets have a lot of moving pieces. They have Nick Claxton is going to be an unrestricted free agent. They have Royce O'Neal, some other guys. They already have players under contract. You know, Ben Simmons being under contract for $40 million next season complicates all of this because the Nets already have Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson in the mid-20s. They're going to have to probably bring Nick Claxton back at a similar number. Now, where does that leave Dimwitty? You know, it's a difficult conversation. I think that's why some people might talk about the conversation of should you consider attaching assets to Ben Simmons to get off that contract? My standpoint, I say no right now because I don't think that the Nets are in a position where they're anywhere near close enough to contention to entertain giving up assets for pretty much nothing. But it does bring up some uh, some problems and questions about a guy like Dinwiddie, can he be back? And I said, you know, is he going to be back next season? I'm not sure. But if he's not back, there will be another point guard coming in the door. Because like I said, Ben Simmons simply cannot be relied upon at this point, and the Nets need a point guard regardless. So that's kind of you know my take on the Simmons update, how that affects the team, particularly Spencer Dinwiddie, how that affects their ball handling and their point guard responsibilities. And it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out moving forward because the Nets are a team that's playing well offensively right now, but they need that guy who can handle the ball and set up the offense. And it's not like there's you know a bunch of them on this roster right now. It's really Simmons and Dimwitty who are the true table setters and point guards. One of them's unreliable. One of them's an unrestricted free agent at the end of the season. So we'll monitor that throughout the year and provide updates as we see. Now moving into a quarter of the season, you know, outlook, sort of a big picture view on what the Nets have been able to accomplish up to this point. As I said, we're 19 games in. The Nets are 10 and 9. They're 13th in net rating, which is extremely impressive. And it's more, even more impressive that they've done this despite a ton of injuries up to this point and one of the more difficult schedules you know, in the league. And these injuries are not to inconsequential players. We're talking about extended absences to four of their top guys, obviously Simmons, and then Cam Thomas, Cam Johnson, and Nick Claxton all missed eight or nine games each. So they're effectively, you know, had to, they've had to reinvent their team several times and their ability to do so and remain competitive while facing a tough schedule is really a testament to the job this coaching staff's able to been able to do. And also, to the depth that this team and general manager Sean Marks has built because, you know, we heard after they traded KD and Kyrie, they didn't go after Damian Lillard this offseason. Leading into the year, we heard about them not having a star. 
which they don't, you know, they may not have a star, you know, depending on how you want to classify a guy like Mikhail Bridges or Cam Thomas. But what they do have is a lot of good players. And while that might not be good enough to win a playoff series, it has allowed them to stay competitive in these games through injuries and is the reason why I was bullish on the Nets at their over-under win total was, I think, 37 and a half. They're outpacing that despite a ton of injuries and a tough schedule early on. That's why I was bullish on their ability to go over on that before the season because of the depth, because of the type of guys that they have in the door, you know, guys who have something to prove, whether from a contract or an accolade standpoint. It was a recipe for a team that should have a high floor in the regular season. I think we're seeing that play out right now. Now just breaking out some of the X's and O's, a little bit of what the Nets have been able to do on both sides of the ball. It's really been the Nets offense that has carried them through this early season stretch. And that's very surprising for a team that a lot of people assumed was coming in with a defensive identity, a lot of plus defenders, defensive player of the year candidate, Nick Claxton, one of the best perimeter stoppers in the league in Mikhail Bridges, and then also a ton of high-level defensive wings, you know, Dorian Finney-Smith, Royce O'Neal, Cam Johnson, guys like that, you know, Dennis Smith Jr. coming in in the backcourt. Yet the defense hasn't been great, and it's been the offense. They have the sixth-best offensive rating in the league. And, you know, to this point, if you're going to look for a reason from a schematic standpoint of what the Nets have been doing, it's really not that complicated. They play fast. They shoot a ton of threes. They have a lot of shooters. And they're converting at a very high rate. The Nets are sixth in the league in three-pointers attempted right now at 39 per game. They're second in three-point percentage. They're shooting 39% from three. So when you're looking at the makeup of this team, it's a smart strategy of what the Nets are leaning into of they have a lot of shooters. They don't have necessarily the elite half-court shot creators that other top guys, you know, top teams in the league are going to have. They have good ones. You know, Cam Thomas is emerging in that regard. Mikhail Bridges has shown what he can do. I'm going to get more into that later. But they don't have, you know, that Jason Tatum, that Luka Doncic, that, you know, Giannis or Damian Lillard, those guys who can really just take over in the half-court. But what they do have is a ton of shooting depth, and they have six players shooting above 35% from three on high volume right now in Lonnie Walker, Dorian Finney-Smith, Royce O'Neal, Cam Johnson, Mikhail Bridges, and Spencer Dinwiddie, all up and above that 35% mark. And in addition to that shooting, as I said, they do have some high-level shot creators mixed in. Cam Thomas averaging 26.1 points per game on 46% shooting. That's despite missing eight games and having to come back from a pretty severe ankle injury. Mikhail Bridges averaging 26 points on 49-41-83 shooting splits over his last 10 appearances, really starting to regain and even push above the efficiency that he posted late last year, you know, after joining the Nets during this 10-game stretch, scored 42 points against the Orlando Magic in a win Saturday, and is really starting to show his ability in the half court to regain some of that rhythm that he had. Spencer Dimwitty, another guy who's a shot creator, is averaging 1.12 points per possession in isolation. That ranks seventh among 35 players with 40 or more ISO, ISO possessions this season. We saw in this Orlando game, the Nets were up by 23 points at halftime. Orlando cut it to nine midway through the third quarter. Spencer Dinwiddie rattles off nine straight points for the Nets to give them that breathing room. Then you talk about another guy, Lonnie Walker, coming off the bench, averaging a career-high 14.5 points per game this season. That leads the NBA among players playing 24 or fewer minutes per game. So 
The Nets have these shooters, but they do also have some shot creation. And I think some of the numbers are reflecting that shot creation. They're getting to the rim a lot more this season. They're shooting the threes, but they're also getting to the rim. And that's the shot profile that we wanted, you know, the Nets coaching staff has wanted to see more of. They wanted to see a lot of threes. They wanted to see more rim attempts. I think we heard some quotes from Jock Vaughn and other coaches last year about Mikhail Bridges playing such a mid-range heavy style of play which, you know, he still obviously cooks in the mid-range, but this year I think we're seeing him get to the rim more. The Nets rank 15th in shots at the rim. They ranked 27th last season, and I think that's reflected in guys like Mikhail Bridges, Spencer Dimwitty, Lonnie Walker, being able to put consistent pressure on there, even Cam Thomas getting there sometimes. So the Nets are a three-point shooting team. That's their identity offensively right now, but they're beginning to become a little bit more than that, having some shot creators and also having guys who can complement that and attack the basket. So the Nets offense, it's seeding expectations right now and a really smart strategy, I think, with the way this roster is built. Now talking about the defense, which has been, you know, I wouldn't say more surprising. I'd say the offensive success is more surprising, but the defense is ranked 19th in the league right now. And, you know, you'd say, well, that's not good. And that's way worse than expected for a team with this many plus defenders. And, you know, I'd agree with you there. But I'd also encourage you to look at two things. The first, the goal of how they're playing defense. And second, how that goal correlates to both ends of the floor, how that affects their offense. Because the Nets whole defense is aimed at improving two things, protecting the paint and rebounding. And they're playing a conservative approach of surrendering above the break threes to particular shooters, as I said, with the aim of protecting the paint and rebounding. And they're forcing offenses into those threes in two ways. They're playing a lot of drop coverage and they're giving heavy help on drivers and pick and rolls in the gaps. And it's been successful in some regards. I wrote an article about this last week. Nets rank eighth in points in the paint surrendered this season. They rank ninth in defensive rebounding percentage, which is really the key stat because they ranked 29th last season while playing their switch heavy scheme. They lost the second chance points battle against the 76ers in that first round sweep, 80 to 22. So the whole offseason, you know, was focused at how are we going to get better in this regard? And they didn't bring in any really true centers. They're still rolling in with they're still rolling with that combination of Nick Claxton and Dayron Sharp. But They've changed this scheme, and that's what we heard Jock Vaughn and Sean Mark say during their intro pressers that I asked both of them about not addressing that from a personnel standpoint and how are they going to improve. They said it's going to be from a system, from a mindset that Jock Vaughn's going to instill in all these guys. And that system is what I alluded to of playing more drop coverage, protecting the paint, forcing opponents into above-the-break threes. And they're rebounding and they're doing their job with their guys closer to the rim and in better possession, in better position. And when you think through the logic of that defensive strategy, it's fairly simple. Opponents miss more above the break threes than any other shot. And, you know, I was speaking on, I said to focus on the correlation between that offensive, the defensive strategy and the offensive end of the floor. And all those misses on those above the break threes with Nets defenders in position to rebound, those turn into opportunities to run off rebounds. And that's what the Nets want to do most offensively. They rank 12th in the league in fast break points this season. They do not want to play in the half court. We've heard Jock Vaughn go as far as saying that explicitly, which is you know somewhat surprising, but it's true. They want to run. Now, you know, they're running at a very high rate off of those misses and they're getting it out to three point shooters. And that's really where they're finding their success. Now, if you want to look at the downside of this approach, 
They're not really forcing any turnovers. They rank near dead last in that category. And that's because they're not attacking out to the perimeter like they were putting Nick Claxton out on the perimeter, trying to use his length to disrupt, get other guys into the passing lanes. They're more so shrinking into the paint. So, you know, when you don't force any turnovers because of that conservative approach, you're going to surrender a lot of shots. So by sheer volume, opposing teams are going to score. That's why the Nets are surrendering, surrendering one of the they're not surrendering a high field goal percentage, but they're still low in defensive rating. That's because you know opposing offenses are getting a shot near every other time down the floor. But you know with that volume, they're also going to miss a lot, as I said. And the Nets are turning those misses into tons of three-point opportunities, and they're converting those three-point opportunities at the second-best rate in the league. So they're effectively saying, we're going to bet on our shooting against other teams, and they're coming out on the winning end of that bet right now. Can you have the best of both worlds defensively where you protect the paint, you rebound, and you also force opponents into turnovers? They can do that maybe a little better than they can, than they have, in my opinion. Maybe they fight a little bit harder over screens. Maybe they attack just a little bit more ball handlers at the top of the key. But I do think that there are some limitations just by this scheme, and I think that that's evident in the way that they're kind of you know, moving back, retreating into the paint. But I do think that it's been successful in that regard. And regardless of what preconceived notion you came into the season with of the Nets are going to be good defensively, they're going to struggle offensively. Right now it's the opposite, but they're still 13th in net rating. They still have a winning record despite a ton of injuries and despite a difficult early schedule. And if you're a Nets fan, I think that you have to come away after this 19-game start feeling extremely encouraged by the product that they've been able to put on the court and the types of teams that they've been able to compete with. Because really outside of maybe two games this season, one to the Celtics and one against the 76ers that were blowouts, the Nets have been competitive in every single game this year. And that's really a testament to what they've been able to do You know, from accomplishing their goals, even if the defense has looked at a little bit worse than you've expecting from a rating standpoint fixing rebounding and protecting the paint, some other deficiencies they had last season and turning that into offensive opportunities. So exciting stuff. If you're a Nets fan, in my opinion, they're a team that I think has a legitimate shot to compete for a playoff spot. They may not win a playoff series, but they should be a tough competitor and a tough out in that first round. And they're a team that has a lot of young guys that are ascending, whether you talk about a Nick Claxton, whether you talk about what we've been able to see from Cam Thomas early this year, even a guy like Lonnie Walker, who's only 24 years old and a minimum signing, potentially a guy that they could look to have into the future. They have veterans in Dorian Finney-Smith and Royce O'Neal who are having career best shooting years on career high volume right now. Like I said, Spencer Dimwitty's being one of the better facilitators in the league while being extremely efficient isolation score. They just have a lot of pieces that are meshing well together right now. And that's turning into a product that is competitive. And honestly, it's a good watch right now from just a sheer basketball standpoint. So excited to see how that moves forward. The Nets have a matchup with the Atlanta Hawks tonight on the road. Then they'll come back and play the Washington Wizards Friday. Two really important games, some wins that they need before they depart on a road trip with some pretty tough matchups going to Sacramento, Denver, Phoenix, Golden State, Utah. So important the Nets take care of business in these next two games before they depart on that difficult road trip. But I'll have more coverage of it along the way. I'll be going out to Phoenix for the Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson homecoming. Also, Kevin Durant's first game against the Nets since being traded. So excited to provide coverage on all that. If you guys like this podcast, make sure to subscribe at Believe in Nets on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all streaming platforms. 
Smash the like button, leave a review. Really appreciate that. I am Eric Slater, Brooklyn Nets beat reporter for ClutchPoints.com. You can find all of my articles on ClutchPoints.com, as well as constant news updates analysis on my Twitter, Eric Slater underscore. Excited to provide you guys more coverage in these coming weeks with the Nets heading into this road trip. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.